Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. I'm really glad you came. Thanks. <laughs> In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices, through visual mini-systems. Why? So we can work more safely, so we can do better work, we can do the right work, we can do it more completely. It can be delivered on time. It's accurate. We're safe. Our company makes good profit margins, and we enjoy ourselves along the way. We enjoy ourselves at work because we can move through work without the struggle of missing information. Why? Because we embedded the information through visuality into that landscape, into the work environment, into the tools, into the walls, the floors, into the drawers, the cabinets, into the space itself, whether we're in a hospital, in a bank, in a factory, continuous process flow, utilities company, open pit mine, it doesn't matter. If we are working, we need information. And if we need information, we need it now at the point of use when we need it. We don't want to go looking for it. We don't want to engage in motion triggered by these information deficits because when you put those two together, information deficits in motion, you get struggle. We want to do work that makes sense. And so we make the workplace speak. And you know, today we're going to continue our discussion about smart, simple design, which is not visuality. It is the state of improvement before visuality. It is really why, as you've heard me say in the previous shows on smart, simple design, this is a series and this is show number four or five. I think it might be five even that an unsmart, unsimple design of your product or of your service array will create a lot of complexity in your company, a lot of confusion, huge amounts of information deficits, a tsunami of information deficits because of that complexity. And so we bring in visuality, we bring in lean to cope with that. But visual and lean are coping mechanisms 
dealing with the underlying level of complexity in your company. And I want you to take heart and know that you can address that complexity. You can diminish it. You can get it under control. You can design it out of the organization. Because what we're trying to do in Smart Simple Design is find this lovely balance point between the variety you need to keep your customers absolutely delighted, but not such that it's going to cost you the life of the company itself. So we make this distinction between internally triggered complexity, which is brought about by the unwarranted introduction the kind of unconscious introduction of variety into your work system, your production system, your operations. And positive, that's called negative variety, it's called ineffective variety, or positive or effective variety, variety effectiveness, which is very design, very much designed to keep the negative stuff out and surface the positive, which is happier customers, offering them the kind of choice that will make you not only secure in the market, but grow in the market. Customer-driven variety is linked to verifiable customer interest and demand. It is positive variety because it adds to the value of the product, and it is that value that customers purchase. We also call this customer-pulled variety. And then there's the internally triggered kind. I'm going to talk about that again in a moment. But I want to let you know that's what we've been talking about in this series. This is a five or six show series. We hope at the end of it, which will be in a couple of shows, that we'll have a call in so that you can call in with your questions, with your hard questions about reducing parts count, even though you've got $100,000 worth of inventory of parts that are creating confusion and complexity, mayhem, I was going to say, in your on your shop floor. But also questions about how do you address your marketing uh, staff and your sales staff. Maybe you are marketing head and you see that there's a real potential here for helping your company make greater profit based on your sales. And you want to know how to walk that edge between saying yes to your customers and no to the complexity part, the choking complexity, the congestion. So so we're kind of recapping now. Today we're going to be going into the triggers of negative variety residing in your policy and in some of the engineering behaviors. But I want you to get this full picture. And, you know, it's very important to me in doing this show. I've just passed my year's anniversary, so we've been together a long time, that you receive something of value. I don't want to waste my time just yakking away. And you're not going to listen to me if I do. I want to give you interesting cognitive concepts, paradigms, and understandings, and insights that you can use and tools that you can use. I'm not exactly trying to change the world, but I am trying to have a positive impact on work. So I've been doing that for 30 years through visuality, and now I'm dredging up from the past this book that I wrote in 1994 because I think it's time has come. I think it is time for us to talk about complexity and to do something about it. 
So it's important to me that you feel that you're getting something out of this series that will help you do something differently. Begin to make inroads into this negative variety. And I think today, I hope, will add to that. So in a, a moment ago, I described what is customer-driven variety, and I said I would take a moment and wait because I wanted to say what I just said to you. And now I want to talk about internally triggered variety. This is variety that does not come from the customer. It is variety that adds cost and not value. I think that's a really good way to think about negative variety. It adds cost but not value. Now, you're not going to be able to get rid of it all, but you have to be aware that it is probably greater than it needs to be in your company And you'll know that because you're choking on the complexity. Because people are running around trying to get answers to the simplest question of where is it? And how long? Day in, day out, you've got complexity afoot. And you can do something about that. Negative variety is internally triggered. This is the variety that results from the way the business currently operates. And to the point of this particular show, it results from the policies, the practices, the requirements in your current business approach. It is not variety triggered by the customer and therefore it burdens the corporation with complexity and expense. Ultimately, the customer pays and if they refuse, you're out of business. Think of it as company pushed variety versus customer-pulled variety. You see the difference? Customer-pulled means the customer is pulling it from you because if you deliver what they want, they're going to buy it. Company-pushed is just there out of some old habits and some a great lack of awareness. Our greatest enemy is always ignosis, which is translated as ignorance. (laughs) Ignosis is a Greek word for ig, not, gnosis, knowing, not knowing. We simply don't know. We don't have this awareness. We didn't realize it. It's not our fault. And even though it's not our fault, we still have to do something about it. We're still responsible for it. So company pushed variety. We may not have realized it until recently, and maybe these shows are helping you a bit. But now that you realize it, you're burdened with the responsibility of doing something about it. You know, you can't, you can't confess ignorance anymore. I see ignorance as a kind of neutral state. I don't say that anyone's blamed, but I do need to th- say that we need to name it very clearly. Uh, now, you are not going to be able to reverse all the sources of these internally triggered variety things we're not all the sources of internally triggered variety you won't be able to do it in a single stroke or many strokes but your objective will be to eliminate eliminate as many as possible at this time as many as possible right now possible right now and minimize the negative impact of the rest minimize the rest okay You're finding that balance point. And when that balance point is struck, it's called effective variety. It's a balance. Okay. So today we're going to be looking at the triggers in the company policy. And I have a few things to say about that. 
There are five silos. I named them for you in the last show. And you will remember that we got into the classification system, the data classification system, and true cost. Well, today we're going to touch upon the other ones. So the need to decomplicate the organization extends your organization, extends to all departments and all functions, and refers to not only simplifying products and parts and processes, but also refining and improving specific behaviors, what we call practices, which even though they may be inadvertent, unintentional, will still encourage and even trigger negative variety, needless variety, and cost. We group all those behaviors and practices, I do, under a single term. I call it company policy, and whether it's formal or informal, whether it's officially sanctioned or just done, the term policy in this approach, variety effectiveness process, refers to any activity that has become standard, usual, or expected within the enterprise. And embedded in those policies are the unintended triggers of negative variety. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So we're going to go through these uh, after the break, and I hope you find it instructive. I'm going to make suggestions about specific changes you can make that you, you and a, a few of your, your fellows can start noodling on and moving through your system. You can get this done. Some of them will be daunting, but some of them will be easy, I think. Okay, I'll see you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, tune in to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. What's really going on in Washington? Listen as two of Washington's most experienced insiders, Howard Marlowe and Michael Willis, divulge the strategies of the key players affecting legislation and policy matters every week on The Inner Loop. 
Unlike most talk shows, which feature hosts that have little to no experience working with the federal government, The Inner Loop is hosted by two professionals who actively work to influence federal policy on a daily basis. The Inner Loop is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back. You're at the Visual Workplace, and we are deeply in our discussion of Smart Simple Design and actually looking at the triggers of negative variety in your policies, in your formal and informal practices and procedures. And there are five silos. And those five, five silos, which we talked about in the last show, are accounting and purchasing, marketing and sales, product design and development, that's number three. Number four is your data or your MIS systems. And number five is your operations. And what I'm looking at, and if you send me an email, I'll be happy to send you this page, is a display of 33 known policy triggers of negative variety. 33 of them. I You might be able to add to them, <laughs> but I, I think that 33 is quite enough. Thank you very much. So you can uh, email us at radio at visualworkplace.com and we'll send you this very, very impressive little monster. <laughs> I don't know if I'll have enough guts to uh, read them all, but I am going to touch them, touch, touch them silo by silo. And then I want to go into a couple of these in greater depth. Accounting and purchasing silo. And this goes across on every single one of them. That there is a lack of awareness that such a thing as positive and negative variety exists. And in this particular silo, that true cost exists and that the triggers are on a policy level and also in accounting and, and purchasing. So that goes across all five. This lack of awareness of the whole paradigm of thinking and of the true cost of complexity. What complexity is. In accounting and purchasing, we also look at make versus buy decisions. Excuse me, I just had a, 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 um, a extra air in my throat. It's called a yawn. I don't know where it's coming from. Make versus buy decisions based on costs per part. Number three, number one was the lack of awareness. Number two, Make versus buy decisions. Number three, supplier selection based on cost per part, purchasing pets, and or calamity protection, you know, where you have five or six or seven extra suppliers just in case. That's a very worried mind that does that. <laughs> Number four is the allocation of costs based on uh, labor material and overhead formula, which we 
we spoke in a previous show about how that is out of date and actually often triggers parts proliferation. Number five is no cost accounting measure to track parts counts or shared versus dedicated ratios. So you are not, you are tracking maybe the number of counts, but you're not tracking the number of occurrences and you're not seeing what the complexity is in the array of product offering because of the occurrences or lack of occurrences of certain parts. That was that parts index that we talked about in the second show. Also, large lot purchases on infrequently used parts and going for that economic order quantity. We need to have this much of a quantity in order to justify the purchase. And number seven is MRP-driven purchasing. But I think you already know that MRP-driven purchasing is going to increase your inventories to an exponential level. So that's accounting and purchasing, and those are just the kind of top, top stuff that, that I've noticed or that have been, has been brought to my attention. In marketing and sales, again, a lack of awareness. And I tell you, your marketing and sales people are going to perk right up if you can get – if you can – Propose this in a way that's very positive and let them know that they're going to be able to offer their customers more, better quality, and faster when we get rid of the complexity. They're not going to push back. They're going to be scared at first because it sounds like you're taking their, their, their bread and butter away. But you, you know, spend an hour with them. Don't spend six minutes. Spend an hour with them and explain it to them. Maybe parts of these shows will help them. We're looking for positive variety, more service to the customer, better products for the customer. So that's number eight, that lack of education, lack of awareness. Number nine, I'm going through the 33. Let's see if I have the courage. Unlimited, an unlimited response to customer so-called demand and an indefinite support for all customers. So that means you don't have an obsolescence policy. You just, if the customer wants it, you give it to them and, you know, you absorb the difference. That's one of the ones I want to talk to you about today. Number 10, lack of specific criteria for qualifying new markets or evaluating new market requests. You can do this. You can develop a a criteria that is supporting of the customer but still doesn't sink your ship, your corporate ship. You can do this. It's called a policy, and a policy will be signed by your VP of marketing, your VP of product development, because it makes sense. It's a balance point. Number 11, setting prices and margins based on labor material and overhead and or on economic order quantity. Huh? You know, actually cementing that which should already be Um, if not removed, then at least adjusted. Number 12, formulating markets around products with least cost parts. Number 13, (laughs) lack, I hope you love me because I'm just uh, uh, embarrassed myself. (laughs) Number 13, lack of designer, design engineering involvement in the early stages of customer contacts. If you are a design a design company and you have low stock, um, high complexity, and the designer doesn't get involved, you're in big trouble. And I want to talk about that one today. And number 14, lack of a unified obsolescence policy. 
so important to know when enough is enough. How long will you keep this by policy so that you can say, well, I'm going to talk about this when we get a little bit deeper, but so that you can say to your client, you know, our policy expired a year ago and we have a six-month buffer and we advise you of that. We want to help you. But right now, we no longer store that part. The part doesn't exist. We can remanufacture. It'll have this. Uh, we can manufacture again. It'll have this lead time. And, uh, and we, we want to support you in this. But we do have this policy, and I think it just slipped your mind. Even when we reminded it, reminded you of it at the six month after it was gone, Mark. So you can be very careful in that way. Product design and development, I want to talk about uh, separately, but specific, specifically, the lack of a unified strategy for product development and the introduction of products. And there are a lot of companies that are working on this throughout the United States, concurrent engineering. So you'll be able to find a lot of help there if you're not already doing it. Treating products as separate entities, we're on 17. 18, the lack of specific design criteria to support or require parts sharing. One of the things I'm going to be talking about uh, later on is the great work of Boothroyd Dewhurst and his their design for manufacturability and their design for uh, and their design for manufacture Boothroyd Dewhurst that we're going to talk about modularity we're going to talk about the standardization of parts we'll touch upon this and then you can go further on your own uh, my book suggests some methodologies for this but you can find this on your own as well number nineteen the lack of specific follow up metrics to support parts sharing so if you want folks to part share you you create your metrics to watch that this is your border guard again the metric itself is the border guard long lapses number 20 between new products 21 the lack of a defined product life cycle policy that has to do with obsolescence as well 22 oh i'm sorry to say this different designers different design concepts Different designers, different design concepts. You change the human, you change the imagination. Oy, oy, oy. You change the aesthetic. 23, implementing improvement tools that trigger parts variation. Many of you use value-adding analysis. Value, value analysis, remember that tool from the 1980? Be careful. If you're not careful, it'll trigger. You'll get value for the part. And value for the product, but not value for the product line. Be careful. So we're moving now to silo number four. We just are leaving product design and development. And we'll go to the MIS systems. Again, there's a lack of awareness about what negative variety is or its triggers, what true cost is. And you have, that's number 24, number 25, a big, bungling, blundering parts classification system, which we talked about the last show. Number 26, the lack of standardized parts and product nomenclature. This is just what you're calling it. The lack of a standardized nomenclature for parts and products. Just what you're calling it. It's a bracket. No, it's not. It's an angle. No, it's not. It's a something else spelled S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G dash E-L-S-E. Something else. <laughs> Or it's an XY22-34. 
four. No standardization using those 30 character fields correctly. Oh, my goodness. 27, lack of a required use, this is me talking, of a standardized attribute template for inputting parts data. So you create a template based on the critical attributes to help you see this from that. Spring, spring ratio, spring coding. Develop those attributes. And this is hard work. You start with a, a, a pilot. You do your, a, I call it the A cycle. And you learn how to do it. It takes you a long time to get all the parameters in place. And then you move to the B cycle before you finish the A, after you get the kind of profile. Okay, we know how to do it. Let's start all over again and not make those mistakes again. You start your B cycle. You do a little bit better. By the time you get to your C cycle, and you maybe haven't even finished your A cycle yet, by the time you get to the C cycle, you pretty much know what you're doing. And so you take the C template, the third template, and you start rolling it. It'll take you a year, a year and a half if you've got complex parts, uh, parts of architecture, product architecture. But you gotta do it. You gotta do it. It's like you gotta brush your teeth. You can delay it for a month or two. But you know what? It's gonna really accumulate over time to the positive or the negative. So let's get positive about it. You gotta do it. Okay, so we're up to 27. We only have six more, and we'll pick those up right after the break. I know that you're riveted. I know you'll be back. You can hardly wait to find out what else you're doing wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But we'll, we'll pick up some positive things you can do very shortly. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, tune in to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Here I am. I'm back. Bad news. The bad penny has returned. (laughs) Welcome back to the Visual Workplace. We're in the third segment of our show, and we are deeply engrossed. We are deep up to our eyebrows in triggers of negative variety. We're going through the policy aspects. We're going through the formal and informal practices, and some of them are actually written policies, but few of them are practices of what we do habitually in order to deal with certain conditions but what we don't realize is the way we deal with them will either create positive variety and smooth things out or create more complexity complexity negative variety and get things more congested and honestly this has to happen on the executive level you can, we'll talk about methodology. Maybe we'll add a whole nother show to walk you through the methodology. Gee, I hope that you email and tell me that you like this. I'm going to do it anyway because some of you will want to know. This needs to be addressed on the executive level. You as a manager, say, of a product development, the product development department can try things out to test out your beliefs that this is going to work or that this is logical, it's rational, it fits, and then present it to your executive. But what I want is all the CEOs and CFOs and plant managers and owners to listen in and get afraid, get very, very afraid because this is throwing down the money. 80%, I saw this the other day, 80% of your costs happen in the design function, happen in the sales function. Sales and design trigger 80% of your costs. And the message in this quote that I saw, and I I can't verify it, but this person believed it and seemed to be a a smart person, experienced person, is that people make the wrong decisions. They don't even know it. And that wrong decision plays itself out through the whole product life cycle. So we were up to 27. The lack of a standardized attribute template for identifying parts data before we input it. So we input data describing the part that is actually meaningful against a set of attributes that are meaningful for the design and function pro- uh, of and, and function process. 28. No routine purging of deadwood from the product or the parts base. 
The dead wood just sits there. Oh, no, that's no good. Oh, that's no good. No, that, that one doesn't work. No, no. Marianne, I can tell you, I looked at that part yesterday. No, 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 no. Forget it. Forget it. And forget that one, too. Yeah, forget that one. That one, maybe. Yeah. Let's look at that screw. <laughs> Let's look at that bracket. It's not even a design part. It's a commodity part. Terrible. 29. Triggering unwarranted variation through the haphazard use of CAD. I'm going to say some more about that if I hurry up and uh, finish this list. What was that quote? CAD, so easy to be different. Geez, I must be more efficient. I'm on CAD. You know who said that? Anonymous. Nobody would own that statement anymore, but lots of people believed it. Number 30, manual or sporadic document maintenance. So well, that's the MIS system, uh, uh, Megamess. We'll go to operations. Again, lack of awareness of what positive and negative variety is. 30, that's 31. 32 is high parts inventory based on economic order quantities. I think we've pretty much gotten over that in the last 20 years. And number 33, using cost per, pa- per part to justify capital equipment outlays and process improvement. Looking at the cost per part, not the true cost per part, but the cost per part. Hmm? So that was number 33. What I want to do now is just look at a few of these. They're kind of like my bugabear favorites. These are the really scary ones, or these are the ones that I think you can address with some uh, some ease. And they make sense. And, well, this, was, this one is a nightmare, the first one, the nub of the problem in policy. Be everything to everybody in the market, no matter what. This impacts not less than seven of the policies or the the practices that I just mentioned. The be everything to everybody. Companies have a reputation inside and out for doing anything for anybody. Uh, it's an unwritten philosophy for the most part, and it's, I'm, I'm going to now quote somebody who said this. We build, this is a quote from a manufacturing manager, will remain unnamed. We build quantities of 10,000 once, and we build quantities of one once. You name it, and we accept the order, and somehow get it out the door. The problem is we don't often get stuck I beg your pardon. The problem is we often get stuck with lots of new parts, equipment, and paperwork all along the way. It seems as if every engineer wants to build the product just a little different, and every new product that hits the floor needs just one or two different fixtures. Last week, we built a product we hadn't built in two years, and it took us three days to find the special fixtures used to calibrate it. We never did locate the right drawing, and it took a manufacturing engineer two days to mark up a standard product drawing to meet the special specs we needed. And he finally he says, this happens all the time. This needs to be addressed. And you can see how this will trigger parts variation that is unwarranted 100%. So I want you to get a feeling of what this looks like when you don't have a policy about how do we define a new product and how do we allow it to enter our system. 
you get this kind of behavior. It's very disheartening for people who make it happen on the shop floor. But you can believe that if your design engineers are not aware that this is coming down the pike, that they'll simply design a new product or introduce this negative variety, and they won't even be aware of what they're creating on the shop floor. Please, please address this. Have the conversation. Bring them together. Hey, can we talk about this? It may take us a while to address it, but can we begin to talk about this? Here's another one. In purchasing, make versus buy decisions. Decisions regarding the manufacture and the purchase of parts. Many, many times they're primarily based on cost per part. It's an internal costing method. And it's applied to the overhead based on direct labor costs, subcontracting and outside purchasing. So subcontracting, outside purchasing, many, many times a company will go to that because they think, well, at least we don't have to use our internal resources. But that is not the way to make the decision. Hmm? The common practice is let's have Let's have them do it on the outside instead of on the inside. Because one of the things that a company hasn't addressed is how do we standardize as a, on a single superior material that can meet all the needs of an application? That's assumed to be too expensive because we don't understand the true cost of introducing all these different parts. And I will say whether they are purchased or they are made. I want to also talk about, if I may, product pricing and discounting. Products which we know we know intuitively cost our company more in the long run often have much lower selling prices than products that are a breeze to plan and manufacture. And I now I'm going to quote from a marketing VP, and this is a direct quote. In management meetings, I am constantly called on the carpet to get profit margins up. This is a marketing person. But the only data my people have to go on are the cost figures in the computer. So we price based on these figures. But how are we supposed to know which parts are turning over and which are not? In other words, if we're just pricing on the cost of these products and these parts, are we really getting to the true cost? This woman understood it intuitively, and she's a marketing VP. You're not giving me the data I need to make the good decisions you asked me to make on behalf of the company. She felt, she knew something was off. We're not looking at this right. We'll give her a copy of Smart Simple Design, and we did. She was actually part of the research. Let's talk about cannibalizing products. New product impact on existing products, it's called. And it's impacting six of the triggers of negativity, of negative variety. New products cannibalized, will cannibalize the sales of existing products. And what happens is that you get a reduction in the economies of sales and you begin to split sales volumes between new and old products. In the cannibalization, parts and processes can often proliferate 
and the cost increases for the older model. We have to find a new product rationale. Cannibals, cannibalization is symptomatic of a deeper problem, which is, in, in, I'm thinking of, of some companies, a company will tend not to develop a product to fill the void, but rather just to derive from an existing product, a kind of me-too product that is already being served well by something that the company offers. And so it's eating up its, 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 own, uh, its own siblings. Okay? That's not the way to create a competitive market. So after the break, what I want you to, I, I thought we might have time to talk about product life cycle decisions, but I just want to give you a taste that there are solutions. There are other ways of doing all of this. And after the break, we will talk about product design engineering and a little bit about uh, over-designing and overusing your strengths, just to give you something to, th- to think about, because this is all a component of the same explosion, proliferation of products and parts, or proliferation of services, or proliferation of the way we name things. This is the distributor of air conditioners I talked to you about in our last show. I'll see you in a minute. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hello, everyone. This is Gwendolyn, and I'm back in the last segment of today's show of the Visual Workplace. We're talking about smart, simple design. We've been talking about triggers of negative variety that reside in your policy, your practices, informal or formal. They're disguised because they're habitual, but they still have big, sometimes catastrophic impact on our bottom line and also simply the congestion of our operational systems. Okay. And at the very beginning of the show and with each of this show, the shows in this series, I've been saying to you, the, this complexity is why we need so much lean intervention, so much visual, uh, so much visuality because there's the congestion of the complexity. But what I want you to get, let's talk about the primary cause. The primary cause is that this complexity is triggered by the lack of awareness that we are triggering complexity. We're getting negative variety just by doing things and we don't even know it. It's sort of like Typhoid Mary. She was such an amazing case. Here was Typhoid Mary in, what, 1913 or so. Everybody had typhoid. I believe this was in New York. And the epidemiologists were trying to track down the source. And they finally, they discovered that everybody who had this in a particular cluster ate at a particular restaurant. And there was a waitress named Mary. She was the carrier. And as she served people, she carried typhoid. They think they were, they thought they were getting a good meal, but they were walking home with typhoid. She didn't know it. She was immune to it. She was just the carrier. That's why they call typhoid Mary. I used to call one of my bosses, boys, uh, one of my bosses typhoid Mary because he would come into your office and when he left, whoever you were, you were on the floor saying, help, help. <laughs> What was it that just happened to me? And he would go on to another office and spread the disease. But it's the same thing with your variety, right? It's invisible until you know it's there. And when they found her, they said, Mary, we, we would like to put you on a nice vacation. We're going to give you a room room service. <laughs> they quarantined her. And the epidemic began to recede, it's it's the same thing. Oh, dear, what a world. What a world. So let's talk about in the last few minutes we have left this whole idea of hot products and the power of design. What you want to do is you want to leverage the power of design and make it a core competency in your company. You want to get very, very smart about design. Maybe you're not going to have one of those hot products that creates a whole new capability in the world today, you know, the way the iPhone does. Maybe you have a commodity product like switches and controls, but you still are responsible for looking at the design function. And as I mentioned earlier, CAD offers us a vast new creative capability when it appeared about 30, 35 years ago, allowing engineers to develop innovative, highly differentiated products at a very fast clip. But you know what? It turned into a problem because it moved too fast. You could plug in new parameters and create a new design. All you had to do was plug in new parameters. You'd get a new design. It was amazing. It revolutionized the product development process. It acts the lead times, but it created huge 
amount of complexity that was not seen as a bad until much, much later. This is the 437 different dashboard meters and the 1,200 types of floor carpets that Nissan developed, flushed with revenue and determined to grab the market. Did you know that Japan once designed, I think it was Nissan, yes, it was Nissan, designed a delivery vehicle that was shaped like a snail. They actually made it look like a snail. They had a, another car company had a phone that looked like a, I'm sorry, had a car that looked like a phone. Those came and went. <laughs> Those never made it over here. So you have to revise the overall mindset of design for overall cost. And there were four proposals. I'm going to just say them to you quickly. And then I have a couple of other things to, to say and we might be out of time. You design from the inside out. You put value near the user. And the example that I love is the Lotus car because the Lotus car, it's got all of this fancy stuff, all of this leather and these beautiful knobs that are close to the user's face. But underneath, did you know that that car has wood in it? It has wood in it. But it didn't matter because the, the customer saw the fancy knobs and the beautiful leather and the wood was out of it. The wood still functioned. And this is the Lotus car they designed from the outside in. Did I say that? Did I say it the wrong way, the inside out? I was wrong if I said that. It's designed from the outside in, put value near the user, put value near the customer. Hmm? So interesting. The leather, the knobs, the sound system, the carpet, the glass, all the other things that the customers saw were the best. But two inches away from this stuff was plywood. This guy who said that this was a VP of design at Chrysler, he said, what a cheap car underneath. And then he said, boy, is that smart. Those cars went for $75,000. This is back in the 1990s. Second thing is know when average is good enough. Companies are always challenged to surprise the user. But you know what? You can build customer loyalty by delivering just what the customer will, will buy rather than more than. We don't have to deliver more than. Third, use fewer parts, use shared parts. We're going to talk about this when we talk about modularity and standardizing parts. I've got to talk to you about that. There are these five things you can do in the design process. I really must talk to you. That's how you implement this. Use, use shared parts. You've got to start doing this. 30 to 40% fewer parts if you keep this in mind. 30 to 40% fewer parts if you start sharing parts. The cost is invisible to the user but will show up in your selling price and in the lack of complexity, the reduced complexity in operations. Get sales involved from the get-go. Get your designers involved from the get-go. That's number four. The place to champion the practices that I'm describing is at the earliest possible phase of the product development process when the customers are registering their true needs. You're the top salesperson for a company that designs cab interiors, and after years of hard work, 
you are finally designated global source supplier for Mack trucks. You're planning to meet with the client. Three hours later, you return with a stack of requirements, which you take directly to your design team to spec out within an hour. They say there's no margin in this product. Hmm? What would it be like if you, as a top salesperson, had your design person with you? And then you can say, whoa, there's no margin. Can we take a break? And think about what to do just then. Now, the barriers to your moving forward is there's a lack of awareness that these are triggers. You have a database that is incapable of finding the parts that can be shared. You have no formal policies, no rewards, no measures for a unified strategy of positive variety. People don't know about it, and you're facing untrue cost, false cost through your accounting system. Oh, no, oh, no. Well, Dee is telling me that I have about five seconds to make you happy before you go. I don't know how to do that, but I want you to think about these things because these are why you need visuality. Use less visuality. Have more simple organizations, more more simplified product architecture. Put me out of business. Put all those lean consultants out of business. Bring logic and rationality to your beautiful company. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I had a great time with you today. I'm signing off, and I'll be here the next time. I hope you are, too. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.